This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And up next, a woman that needs all of our support, all of our love, all of our prayers, because her fight is a fight of the ages. And she's extremely brave, extremely brave. And I'm talking, of course, about the very lovely Roe Edge from Save Women's Sport. Roe, good morning. Good morning. God, what an introduction. I don't know if it's the fight. Of, I can't believe we're actually having this fight again. Nor it seems I. ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, no, can yeah, I? Very, very surreal. I mean, we women thought that we had fought for the rights to, you know, fair and safe competition, gen- like, you know, a generation ago. And here we are all over again. So, and we have seen what happens to people who take a public stand. I mean, yeah, the most. No, I do. I do think that that is changing, though, Rodney. Like, especially overseas, not so much in New Zealand. Obviously, we're still turfs and even Nazis now because that means that you know people can do whatever they like to us. But overseas, we are seeing a change of direction, especially in the UK. And mm-hmm. I, we always eventually follow. We are a little bit slow on it, so you know it might take us five years. But I do think the direction of travel is changing again, and common sense is prevailing. It just might take a little bit of time for it to happen in New Zealand. Mm. Well, I salute you and I salute your bravery because I watched J.K. Rowling, who was a lady of the left, very successful, and to watch her be pilloried day after day after day in the foulest possible way simply for doing what you do standing up for women and that women are different to men, that women need their spaces and they need their sport. Nothing anti-trans in any of it, right? Not saying you can't dress up as a woman, but just saying men cannot play in women's sport or enter a woman's private space. And for that to be, I mean, it should be a no-brainer. Mm. I, yeah. it's, it's, that that's that's part of the struggle I have, and I read a great book called uh, "Cynical Theory." Oh, I'm reading that now, actually, on your recommendation. My I God, it's an eye opener, isn't it? Wow. It is an eye opener, and of course, part of the political strategy of this is to keep us totally confused and off balance. And that's how we all feel and until you give up because you're so confused by what words you're allowed to use, what it is to be polite, what is it you're allowed to say. And the sort of nuttier and nuttier it gets, um, the more confused people like me become and the more easily we are manipulated because we just don't know what to think. Yeah, and they've utilised our kids to do that too. Yes, so they've indoctrinated our kids at universities and now it's going down to primary school and even mm-hmm. kindergarten. And so the kids tell you when you say something, you can't say that. Well, no. I've got one answer to that. I damn well can and I damn well will. So, yes. <laughs> you know, now, but they just, they, they are the ones that are censoring their parents and parents really need to start fighting back against it. Now, I was vaguely aware. I'm, I, I apologize because I follow you. 
and I follow the various groups and I try and keep up. But this thing, I remember thinking about it. Oh, really? And then it passed me by and now it's happened. And the 15th of June is a big date because that's when it becomes law to do what? To be able to change the sex on your birth certificate with no medical or any reason. You can just literally change the sex on your birth certificate and as many times as you like just by making a statutory declaration. As simple that, as that, to me, is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Well, it actually makes what was a identification document a lie. It just makes it complete and utter lie, but it also makes it worthless. You know, I mean, it's so ridiculous that you can have two parents who identify as not their biological sex put down as like they might be two females and what would normally be called a lesbian relationship because they identify as trans men. They can have two fathers on the birth certificate of a child when (laughs) they're mothers. So everyone listening, this is this legislation that passed coming into effect on the 15th of June. And what it means is that I can get a statutory declaration. What does a statutory declaration mean? I think it's just an online form signing that you confirm that you <laughs> no longer identify, well, you, that you identify as whatever sex. So and basically, my birth certificate, I was born yeah. on the 16th of December, 1956. And according to the parliament that passed this, at the time I was born, they gendered me. And what is the word they use? Assigned. They misgendered you. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they assigned yeah. me to be a male, you know, like not hard to figure that out. And, but my birth certificate will be changed to read that I was born a female. And here's to me, that is bonkers. The next bit is next level bonkers. I truly can't believe this, right? And I'm I'm saying this tentatively because I read the legislation, I read the debate, I read your submissions. We're going to go through all of that. And I thought I must be missing something because surely this hasn't happened. Not only, so where I get it wrong, tell me. Not only can I change my birth certificate from 1956 to say that I'm a female, there will be no record that I've changed it. Correct. Now that to me is scary. Well, it it just makes it worthless. It's no longer a form of identification because it's, it's portraying a falsity. How do you trust it anymore? Uh, Yeah, absolutely mad. Well, so I went all the way through school and all the way through life, get married, had kids, get married again, have kids. <laughs> and as a man, but I could change my birth certificate, which is a historical document from 1956 that would anyone looking at it would say, oh, Rodina has been a girl. Rodina. <laughs> Since 1956, right? Uh, 
Yeah. Now, the implication of this is that we now know that any gym or sports club or tennis club or anything that tries to exclude males from women's sport and women's changing areas are not going to succeed because they can be taken to the human rights tribunal and they will lose. Well, we would hope so, but our human rights commission is so damn woke that they've... No, 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 what I'm saying is you wouldn't win it. The, no. The, the mayor no. will get in. Yeah, well, they will, although the legislation, the one thing that we managed to do through all of our submissions, so there was like, just to go back through the process, because the process Please. itself was absolutely flawed. So what happened is, and um, like it was in the two, 2017 Labour Party manifesto that they wanted to do this, but it was kind of hidden quite well. So unless you were part of Rainbow Labour, you really had no idea it was there. But as soon as they got into government, they were updating the Birth, Deaths and Marriages Act, and it was kind of just administrative changes that really needed to happen. It went through the first reading, went to select committee. It didn't have sex self-ID in it. It went out for public consultation. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of interest because there was nothing contentious in the bill. It was just about bringing it up to date because I think the last time it was updated was like maybe in the 50s. I don't know, but it needed to happen, right? And then after it went through select committee, a Labour and Green MPs basically popped in this change for sex self-ID without telling anybody. They just kind of popped it in there. But then it went back into, I think, the second reading where no one was aware it was there. And I might get might get this process slightly wrong because it was so goddamn confusing. Tracy Martin caught wind of what was going on, got Crown Law advice because she was concerned and decided to put the bill on hold. And that's where it stayed. But what Labor did in the meantime is that they implemented sex self-ID by stealth through every government department they possibly could. So they created all of the changes as if sex self-ID had gone through so that when the policy came back and was put through Parliament again, everyone would go, well, look, it's already happening. Let's just push it through because, you know, essentially we're already doing it. So, yeah, like multiple agencies introduced new policies and approaches to bring in gender ideology, you know, the pronoun use came in, all of that. And it was all made with very little policy analysis, no risk mitigation, no impact assessment, no pilot processes, no evaluation on like what the implications might be, and only with feedback from people of the that gender identity community. So they just they introduced it by stealth completely. And then when it did, so it went to the second reading and then when, when Labor decided to pass it again, I think rather than putting the whole, because there was an uproar from groups like us and Speak Out for Women and others about the sex self-ID changes, they were pressured into opening up consultation again. So they just did it on that specific part of the bill. They opened it up with hardly any notice for 20 days during a level four COVID lockdown with... No one-sided media who would not portray what any of the concerns were, just called groups like ours, anti-trans, transphobic, bigots, etc. And then Labour pushed. And this and the select committee process with that consultation was just appalling. Like the the attitude of the MPs like Kitty Kitty and um, Julianne Genter, et cetera, on there was absolutely appalling. It was the worst submissions process I have ever been through. And it, like it would put a lot of people off ever wanting to do it again. It was... It so was presumably disgusting. you did it by Zoom. Yeah, yeah, all done by Zoom. 
Yeah, it was an appalling process, but there was over 7,000 submissions. Surprisingly, we managed to get over 7,000 submissions, 70% of them plus, I think it was 73% were opposed, but they still pushed it through and didn't make any changes. Apart from one, actually, I lie. We got one in there, and that was to say, because they were basically making birth certificates a lie now, they they mean they don't mean what they say anymore. We got the change that they that they birth certificates didn't have to be the only form of evidence a service provider or sport could use to determine whether you could discriminate ah, on the basis of sex. So we managed to get that through. But the problem is that. There's a lot of facilities, service facilities and sports that aren't aware of that at all. But it is on the DIA's website. There's a link there and they, they make it very clear that the Human Rights Act still applies. And where sports and services need to discriminate on the basis of sex, they can still do that. But there's a hell of a lot of pressure for them not to. So when you say you're on your Zoom call and the MPs were a little rude, and you singled out Dr. Elizabeth Kerry Kerry, who lately of the Greens, who's somehow gone independent, and um, Julie and Genta, who's a minister, I think, um, for the Greens, that they were particularly rude. How did that manifest itself? Oh, it was just the attitude, like when you were actually giving a submission, their facial expressions, they'd flick off their cameras, and then after when they're asking their questions, they'd just go on the attack. They wouldn't actually ask you about your submission at all and the points you were making. They would just have a go at why you were so anti-trans and why you, yeah. And there was one where um, Speak Up for Women did a submission. And, and excuse me, sorry, I've got building going on in the background. So if there's banging and you can hear it, I apologise. Um, where, yeah, Beth Johnson from Speak Up for Women did a submission and um, Kitty Kitty cut a clip of it and put it on her Facebook page to literally take the piss out of Beth. It was just appalling so yeah well interestingly it's an mp who's meant to sit there and listen with an open mind because you know mm. they're getting feedback to you know take on public sentiment mm. so they can feed that back into the bill but no it was yeah it's too late now but that would be an instant breach of privilege on the basis that it's one of the rules of parliament that you can't impede um, someone for giving a submission and mocking them in that way and putting on Facebook in normal times would be sent to the Privileges Committee and the MP scolded in no uncertain terms because the whole point of our parliament is that any citizen has a right to come along and be heard and to be heard respectfully. And I know when I was an MP, which was not that long ago, committee chair people would fall over themselves. There could be no rudeness. And you might sit there and listen to things that were pretty shocking um, to you, but there's no way you would be disrespectful. Um, the standards are, on these issues have become so inflammatory or inflamed funnily enough not from us but by those that are pushing it and so our parliamentary standards i mean i just find that so shocking that's shocking in of itself yeah it's really you, disappointing really you, disappointing. Would, you would um 
abuse someone and they get away with it. And of course, I think that abuse comes and that mischaracterization occurs because there's no argument for this. No, they don't want the debate because they can't debate it. Because when you get to the crux of the issues, they don't have a response to the concerns at all. Now, the Speak Up for Women group, what, did they commission the poll, did they? Yes, they did. So, yeah, they've just recently commissioned a courier poll. So they yes. wanted to ask, given the legislation comes into effect this Thursday, they wanted to ask the public how they felt about it. And I can't remember the exact question, but it was basically, do you agree with um, people being able to change the sex on their birth certificate without any scientific or medical um yeah, I can't think of what the wording yeah. is, sorry, but like, you know, very, you know, yeah. Um, and basically only 20% of the public approved. So there was a 56 disapproval rate and 24% unsure. But what was really interesting that Labour and uh, sorry, National and Act, you know, 10% approval from National, which is understandable, 66% um disapproved, Act only 13%, but Labour, even only 30% of Labour voters approve of this, yet they've pushed it through. Even the Greens, 41%, more people didn't agree with their policy than agree with it. So it just shows that they, they've pushed this agenda through without taking the public with them, without the public's support. But that doesn't matter because, you know, they know better, Rodney. Mm. Well, yeah. and of course, I could change my 1956 birth certificate to being female and then change it back. Yes, you can change it as many times as you like. And even young people can change it. I think under, is it between the age of 16 and 18, you've got to have somebody in authority sign that off as, yeah. you know, there's plenty of people that will do that now. Yeah. Um, and I think you can even change it younger if yes, a parent approves it. The, the guardian can. Yeah. So yeah, the so guardian child's mind has even developed. <laughs> you know, let's, yeah. And let's of course, presumably, and I'm only guessing here, presumably it's not binary. There's not just male or female. My birth certificate could record, re record a complete kaleidoscopes of genders. That I'm actually not sure about, but I'm presuming that non-binary would have to be on there. And then if non-binary is on there, well, that's such a made-up thing. I mean, God, you could probably be a furry on this. Yeah. Who knows? I was born a furry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that's getting a bit ridiculous. It, but, you know, but it's a strange thing because literally five years ago, 10 years ago, this would be a mad joke that you'd sort of point the finger and laugh, oh, this will be next, and you, you'd never contemplate it. Now, here's the thing. I got that poll, and it said that it passed unanimously by Parliament. Well, I'd fallen off my chair with the thought that I could change my birth certificate just by sending something into the Department of Internal Affairs. I didn't believe that all of Parliament would vote for this. Parliament don't even know that all of Parliament have voted for this. <laughs> We've met MPs who are adamant no. that they didn't vote for it. No. Yep. Because they had no idea. Because of was, COVID or yeah, just there was, surreptitious? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was a, a number of different things. The way the bill was handled, the fact that the media refused to bring up any of the concerns about it. Yeah, just it was... It, the process was so flawed going through this that yeah, most MPs had no idea of of it being in there. And the ones that did just thought that because of all of the stuff that happened through stealth, through all of the other government departments, that it probably wasn't a bad thing and it wouldn't really make a difference. And yeah, so it wasn't of great concern. But no, we've had ACT MPs, a number of them, say, no, we didn't vote for that. Mm, yep, yes, you did. <laughs> you did. And national MPs? Yes, and National MPs, and we raised our concerns with them as well. And I think they were, they saw how the media kicked back against Speak Up for Women. I mean, Speak Up for Women had to go to court to get a ruling that they couldn't be called an anti-hate or hate group and anti-trans because that's how the media were portraying them and that councils were stopping their bookings when they were having trying to have a speaking tour during all the lockdowns, et cetera, you know, but in between. But yeah, but they were cancelling their venues to talk about this issue, to simply raise concerns that females had about how their safe spaces could be protected from males and whether that's changing rooms, sports, prisons, you know, our most vulnerable women in prisons, our hospitals, hospitals all of that thing. And yeah, basically we had to get a court ruling, well, Speak Up Women had to get a court ruling to say that they weren't a hate group because that's how the media were betraying them. And so, of course... MPs were so scared of it, they didn't want to touch it. And I think that's why we saw the likes of that just, they, they decided if they voted against it, and I, like I'm, this is my perception of it, that if they voted against it, the media would hammer them. They would better yes. just fly under the radar and not do anything about it. And they weren't worried enough to act. Well, you're very kind because I think they're unspeakable. And I, uh, when you're a parliamentarian, um, sometimes you actually have to take a stand. And I would expect when you're in opposition, there's no requirement that you support the government. No, but now you have to support the party. I listened to a really good, you did a political podcast the other yes. day with a young guy, and I, that was really interesting. But I think what we've seen with MMP is that MPs no longer represent the people, no. they represent the party. And so well, if the party says we're not going to, I mean, we saw that with Simon O'Connor, how he was treated with um, the lady, is it Maureen Pugh? Yes. You know, anyone that has a difference of opinion to the party narrative is quickly shut down and they go nowhere. I. I read Simon, is it, it's Connor, isn't it? Not Simon O'Connor. Simon O'Connor. Yeah. I read his speech when it was going back to the select committee and he was clearly signaling the problems and his unease. But of course he didn't get to speak when it came back and his vote was recorded by his party in favour. Was it Nicola Grigg that spoke for the National Party. Yeah. Um, her speech, I don't know the lady. I don't think I'd ever heard of her before, so it's nothing. I don't have any. She may well be lovely. But I read her speech, whooping up how wonderful this was and how the National Party is inclusive and caring and welcomes trans people and they're all human, as do you and I. So I have nothing against a trans person. 
Um, I just don't want them um, teaching my kids to be drag queens. I don't want them in my kids' um, changing area if they're male or sports. But I have nothing against any human being. But this lady got up and explained how the National Party is welcoming of diversity and all this, all inclusive and all the right words, and was very derogatory of anyone who had none ease over this, as though you're some sort of troglodyte. And it was the most remarkable display of sort of virtue signaling that making sure that the National Party could not be labelled as conservative or religious or um, that it was right on board with this agenda. And I thought, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. She could have been an extreme Green MP. Her speech could have been Elizabeth Kerry Kerry's. Yeah, and, and thinking, we, we met we met with her, and, tell and she me what seemed she's to listen. Like. And oh, she seemed lovely. She listened to all of our concerns, and yeah, and she said that she was meeting from people across the spectrum. Which, to give her credit, you know, she did. But I think when it came down to it, you have a whole lot of young people now running the prime minister's comms up there, mm. and they and that you have a national party who are shit scared of going against the media because you know we just see how the media treats the right it's appalling so they're trying to appease the media all the time when they're never going to appease the media they need to actually stand for something and you know for people for women <laughs> you know they've allowed they've allowed this whole nonsense over you know luxon and contraception to go to go on without challenging how labor have undermined women's rights more Can you than imagine anybody that, else can you imagine Look, I'm not very good at politics, clearly. But can you imagine how well Chris Luxon would go if he just stood up for his undoubted Christian principles, called it like it is, spoke his mind, and said, yes, I am a Christian, right? And this is wrong. The mm -hmm. media would go nuts. He would hose in. And the poll, the courier poll showing that even for Labour, the overwhelming majority of Labour voters don't support this. We we have a little Wellington bubble of MPs and bureaucrats that are so out of touch with what is ha happening in voter land. Christopher Luxon would fly off the charts to me. I mean, I know of no one that A, knows of this, or B, when you tell them, think it's a good idea. The ACT MPs, David Seymour and Dr. James Cameron, is that James McDowell? James McDowell. James McDowell. Yeah. They tried to take a, a philosophical argument, which was like dancing on a pin. And they tried to say that, oh, well, we believe in freedom, and therefore you can be free to wear a frock and call yourself a girl. And I think, yeah, I get that. And I'm free to you know, make my own judgment of people that do that. But you're not free to walk into a woman's space or a woman's sport. And you're not free to change facts or to change history. 
Yeah, and it's, some... not, it's, it's not like that we ever asked to see people's birth certificates, right? No one no. ever asked to see people's no. birth certificates. But what we had is a social contract. So yeah. there was a social contract between men and women so that if a man walked into a woman's changing room, room, woman felt comfortable enough to say, you do not belong here, out you go. And what this has done is this has... And men felt comfortable enough to beat them up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but now what's happened is basically we've lost that ability to challenge because now when women challenge males in their changing rooms or in their sports teams, they're females. They're told that they have transitioned, that they need to be more tolerant and accepting of diversity. And And women have to just shut up and tolerate it. They have achieved the objective of becoming a woman. Yeah. Because legally... They are a woman. They were born a woman, according to their birth certificate, even though, oh, my God, how could we end up talking about sex endlessly is another horrifying thing because it's yucky beyond belief. Now, you've obviously thought about this a lot. We know from our reading that typically, historically, there's estimated to be one in a hundred thousand, one in a hundred and twenty thousand people who feel they're in the wrong body. And up until the nineties or something, it was actually treated as a psychiatric illness. And it got changed to a condition called gender dysphoria. And it was recognized as a thing. So you'd regard Georgina Bayer as a gender dysphoric no longer uh, a psychiatric uh, illness, but a condition, and you respect that condition, and they respect your position. And their point is they just want to be accepted as a human being. And back in the day, there was no demand to enter sport. Um, People suffering gender dysphoria um, weren't very sporty. And there for my meeting with trans groups and people, they weren't pushy. No. I mean, um, they were very genuine in how they felt, and um, you would have empathy for them. But now that has changed. But my point is, this is... And even in the proponents, like the ACT Party was saying, oh, look, it's just a few people and have no impact on you. So why are we redesigning everything for this tiniest of tiniest minorities? And what is the real agenda? Oh, I think they want to destroy sex completely. That's all into trans. I, I am there now, and you know, I am basically there. meddling around with human beings. You know, it's yeah. When it's- I first inter- in- interviewed you, I genuinely believed that you were on the right path, and it was save our women's sports because I, you explained it to me that if you allow men to willy-nilly enter women's sports, no women's sports would exist. 
it would be destroyed. But it's deeper than that because it could be called to save our woman. Mm. Yeah, and save our children. <laughs> yeah, because well. they're destroying the concept of a woman. Yeah, they are. Look, I saw there was a Canadian school the other day and they called women non-men. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's what we've become now, just non-men. You know, we you know, this government has so part of their agenda was erasing women, the word woman and legislation. So we had an example of that last week, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, I presented to the sport integrity and recreation bill. And so all of the research and all of the background information was based a lot on the experiences of women. That was why then they felt there was the need to create this sports and recreation commission that could create integrity codes to help guide sports with how to deal with various issues. And they were incorporating um, drug-free New Zealand into it and, and making it one good big commission. Where our concern came in was that they... Um, there was no mention of woman when the final bill came out, no mention of woman in there whatsoever. But of course, Rainbow Organization, Rainbow Community, um, Māori, Pacifica, et cetera, all of the other people that had been based in the research and analysis to develop the policy were there, but women were gone completely. And our concern was that the sports minister is going to um, nominate who these commissioners are that are going to sit there and create these integrity codes, given he is already told Sport New Zealand to prioritise inclusion over fairness for females, it's it's completely possible that he will tell the, the commissioners that he elects that he wants an integrity code to say that anyone can self-identify into, into the category they like and no one can complain, which is already in Sport New Zealand's guidelines, but creating an integrity code means that there will be a process that will actually discipline anybody that does as well in sports that don't adhere to it. So, yeah, but it, it's just everywhere. Even our midwifery association is a raising woman too. It's, yeah, it's actually Well, midwifery is a sort of peculiarly woman-focused thing, right? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Plunkett. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing that leads me to despair in New Zealand is that National and the ACT Party are totally on board with this madness, have given no indication that they oppose it in any way, shape, or form. Um, we're going to have to have words about this heading into the election because it's an extraordinary position. But as you say, when you look overseas and when you look here, uh, there's a groundswell building. When you look overseas, um, we've had the wonderful Matt Walsh, who um, has done an outstanding job highlighting and uncomprom uncompromising, explaining, particularly his documentary, What is a Woman? And also sort of going undercover to find out what's going on in these hospitals where they're doing, quote, gender-affirming care. Um, we've seen the Tavistock um, expose in the UK. Uh, for listeners that aren't aware of this, Tavistock was a, quote, gender-affirming care hospital where they'd basically transition you and do surgery to, if you're a woman, take your breasts off, young girls, um, make up genitalia, same thing for boys, shocking, and give them shocking hormones. And it was exposed by a journalist in a book, and... The crazy thing is, 
sort of something like 80% of the boys that were transitioned were considered to be either gay or autistic. Yeah, it's the biggest gay conversion therapy either. It's appalling. There was actually another announcement out of the UK last week, which is which is just brilliant. And that is the NHS now are stopping this prescription of puberty blockers totally unless it's part of a clinical trial. So they have recognised the danger puberty blockers cause to young people and they have stopped it completely. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, we hand, it out, hand them out as easily as the pill. And we have the likes of Inside Out going into schools and promoting them as a way to stall your puberty while you decide who you want to be. Uh, and it's fully reversible and safe. Not at all. Yeah, no, but that's, but that's, that's the line. Say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the UK joins a number of countries, I think Sweden, Norway as well, who were the ones that, you know, started the whole gender thing off probably the earliest out of anybody. Mm-hmm. They've reversed their policies as well. So we we just need to see New Zealand come into line as well. And gosh, if you care about the health and well-being of children, you think it would be a priority to make sure that you weren't giving them anything that could potentially harm them, right? But we are. I mean, the only the only um, ground that we've made is we've got the um, Health New Zealand has taken off the fact that they are safe and reversible from their website. They've removed that now. Mm, I saw that. And there was an argument over that, right? Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of unhappy activists over that one. Yeah. Um, The legacy media, by which I mean TV news, radio news, the newspapers now, mostly online stuff, and the New Zealand Herald, they are extremely culpable in running one story and literally telling lies about anyone that questions it. Which is to say, they won't report your point of view. Now, this was a here, um, this is just jumping up in my mind. They won't report your point of view because it would create a fake balance because you're anti-trans and 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 do you recall what I'm talking about? Yeah. Tell yeah. me that one. Can you can you recall it enough? That, that, well, there's been so many. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is. Oh, was this the, was the news hub? There was this the sorry news talk when they were going to interview me and they rang me to ask me some pre questions and I gave them my opinion on something and they said no we can't we won't ask you that question because we can't have that opinion. We'll be we'll get done by the broadcasting standards authority or something. Yeah, well, it's that. And there was one another one about they labelled someone that was pointing out about the Ministry of Health changing it on puberty blockers, Jane, uh, what's the lady's name, who's doing a wonderful job. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is our legacy media are fully on board with this, and it was no more apparent, and I think this got cut through to Kiwis with Kelly J. Keane and her visit, where essentially, well, it's not essentially, but it was clear. The, the the media decided, the legacy media decided that she shouldn't speak, she shouldn't be into the country, and inflamed the rhetoric and emboldened activists to attack her and attack people that attended her meeting. And to, so it was closed down and then whooped it up as a victory 
for inclusion. Mm-hmm. And her simple point was that, like you and I and most people, men shouldn't be able to play sport, women's sport, shouldn't be able to enter women's changing room. For saying that, she was labelled a Nazi and attacked. Now, the great thing about that is this massive overreach, I think, has cut through to New Zealanders. Would you say? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I had, you know, as an example, a neighbour over at the beach contact me after that because, uh, you know, I had a tweet. I think it was after, actually, um, Chris Hipkin struggled with the what is a woman question and completely embarrassed herself internationally. Um, and there was a media article that had my tweet in it, and she contacted me straight away and went, oh, my God, Ro, I didn't know who Kelly J was. I had no idea that all of this was going on until this all blew up. Now I've read everything, and I totally agree with you. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's just one example. It, yeah, I'm sure it's And, and so this well. legacy media are a big part of the problem, and we recognise that that legacy media by Chris Luxon and maybe the ACT Party, I don't know. They may just be philosophically confused. I can't figure it out. But you certainly sense with National that they allow the woke MPs to speak on this because they don't want to be attacked by the legacy media. Yeah. But if we can see through it, and if they lose their effectiveness, surely there's hope for getting this put right. So what we have got, another thing, another win, small though it may be, that we got from the legislation is they said they'd do a five-year review on it. But I don't know how they're going to do that. We have to push for it and we need to. So that's something we're going to be pushing political parties for. But the question is, how do you review it? How do you determine how many women have stopped playing sports or stopped using changing rooms or toilets because they're no longer comfortable? Mm. How are you going to research that and analyse it properly? You know, do we have to wait to see the female participation rate in sport decline? You know, and, and yeah, it's, well, it's going to be a really if, challenging if 500, If 500 people change their sex on their birth certificate, and then you review it in five years' time, do you change their birth certificate unilaterally from the top? I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? No. Um, That whole whole review. So as we've seen, parties like National don't really unwind anything either. No. And ACT hasn't shown any passion for unwinding this either like they just don't want to touch it it's much easier not to touch it and just to let it go and women just will pay the price but you know if it gets really really bad and then the media finally acknowledge it's bad maybe the politicians will have the guts to do something about it (laughs) they said in the bump supporting the bill that some 15 or other countries or jurisdictions like you know tasmania why you'd want to follow tasmania beats me but um have similar legislation and that this is the way of the future. Have you looked at any of those other jurisdictions and what has happened? Yeah, and most of the legislation is quite recent, right? So there isn't a lot of evidence. You know, it's only really been in the last few years that this ideology has perpetuated across the world. But, you know, in Ireland and the places where it's been there a bit longer, 
they they are having multiple issues. You know, women are being raped in prison by men who are South IDing into women's prisons. California, it's atrocious. The women fear for their lives in prisons in California because they literally, California must be like, I think, the worst in the world at the moment for its legislation that undermines women's rights. But these women's ha- women have no rights at all. And I think they had something like um, 270-odd males who self-identified as women as soon as the legislation came through. They were all, including sex offenders, transferred to women's prisons. It's just appalling. They're having to put um, contraception in women's prisons now because you know, the birth rate is going up. You know, it's... Yeah, it's appalling. But when women raise concerns, you know, Dan Andrews was a good one in Victoria. He was saying, yeah, there's been no issue with sex self ID over there. There has been so many concerns raised by women, but if they don't acknowledge them, Rodney, then apparently they don't happen. No, well, there's that uh, example. I think it's in Andrew Doyle's book, The New Puritans, where a family complained because their family member female was raped in hospital. Mm. and the female patient in hospital couldn't get anyone to complain for her. The police turned up and were sent away by the hospital because she said, no, she's in an all-female ward. But it there took was a, years to get yes, accountability for that, didn't it? There was a male in the ward. Yeah. Now, that has to be against every human right that you can think of. Imagine the prisons. You're a, you're a, a woman locked up by the state, confined, but you're confined with an aggressive, strong, violent rapist. Yeah, and unfortunately... Our trans community, like the research that's been done from the UK, um, the trans community have a higher prevalence of sex offending rapes than men do. Wow. Well, isn't this, isn't this, I, I look, I struggle to interview because I sort of, my mind explodes every time I think about it. Isn't this like a paedophile's charter? Yeah. Look, like no. if I'm a paedophile, I can, Go online. Oh, you know, when I say paedophile, attracted, I'm a man attracted to young Oh, minor attracted person? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I go online, I self-ID, and I enter the girls' changing rooms at the local swimming pool, and I can sit there all day. Yeah, and we had one, we had a grandmother of a 12-year-old girl who was attending a pool down, she was in a swim school down in Wellington, or like just a public swimming pool, but in a swim squad. And after her um, swimming, she went to get changed and there was a male just sitting in there. And she ran out and said to her mum, look, mum, there's a male man in the changing room. And so the mum went to the pool admin person and they went and asked him to leave. He refused, so they rang the police. The police came and said, we can't ask him to leave because he identifies as a woman. So the consequence of that was that the little girl doesn't use the changing room. She's too scared. You know, she ended up, I think her grandmother said she ended up um, going to the pool still, going to swim training, but not using the changing room. So she'd go home in her wet togs. But in the mornings, when she started swimming in the mornings, she used to go from swimming to school. She just couldn't go. She stopped going in the mornings and then got dumped from the swim squad because she wasn't attending enough trainings. 
But what one consequence of this opening up women's spaces to males is that it recasts two common male sex crimes as rights, exhibitionism and voyeurism. They can do them and women cannot say or do anything now because of this. So an exhibitionist male, and of course, we used to think of this when I was growing up as a joke that like no one really did it, but it is a thing. It is. I got flashed when I was younger. Like, really? Yeah. Like, I remember walking, I was just walking along um, Memorial Drive in Hamilton along beside this park and this guy yelled out and I turned around and I was 14 years old and he was like, you know, what wanking had his, out had, in the bushes. It was like, all right. So it, it, it's happened for ages. And in fact, I saw it. In a changing room when you're in close proximity. It's, yeah. And so this is a thing right, which is hard to get your head around for guys, right? You can't imagine this. So they like to exhibit themselves to young girls, and it's a crime, and they get off by seeing a 14-year-old girl see their, for want of a better word, penis. Now, they in our imagination, hide out in Memorial Ave behind a bush and sort of jump out when no one's looking and a young 14-year-old girl's walking by and they get their rocks off by traumatising this poor girl and if they get caught by the police, they'll be prosecuted. So that's exhibitionism. Then there's, we used to call it flashes. A person would be a flash and you had a mental image of a guy in a coat who would be flashing his coat open. Then you have voyeurism, which is what we call a peeping Tom. And they like peering through a girl's window at night and watching them undress and stuff. These are sick people. But now we've made it legal and they can do it in changing rooms without anyone being able to say anything. Without consequence. So I can be a peeping Tom, go down to the local uh, swimming pool and just sit there all day. Yeah, so we had um, a guy in a gym in Nelson who was just sitting in the women's changing room for ages and these two older women went in and were like, first of all, they thought they'd gone into the wrong changing room, right? So they walked back out. No, this is the females. Walked in and all the girls were sort of hidden around the corner or getting changed in the toilet cubicles. And they were like, this isn't right. So went down to the gym receptionist and and she said, no, he's transitioning to a woman. You have to be tolerant and accepting and get over your prejudice, basically. And they went back up and they're like, this is ridiculous. He's still just sitting there perving. I mean, they just stopped using the gym. So when you meet with the ACT MPs and the National MPs and you mention this sort of stuff, right, how did they respond? They just don't really acknowledge the concerns. It's, yeah, I don't know. You don't get much back in response. Like they, so they're really, I mean, I got the sense of them, with the ACT Party at least, when they spoke in Parliament and National, oh, yes, we've listened to everyone, you know, how virtuous are we, but they didn't respond to the argument. No. It was a fake listen and a fake consultation 
because when they gave their speeches, the ACT Party in particular, there was no downside to this legislation. I'm going to get his name wrong, Dr. James McDowell, I think. McDowell, he yeah. specifically said, you can change your birth certificate, means a lot to you because you identify as something other than what's on your birth certificate, and it has no consequence to anyone else. Well, that's where he's wrong. Yeah, I think they don't don't understand the social harms. They're not severe enough for them to actually act on. So unless it becomes a police issue, they don't want to know. It's not not big enough for them to deal with, even though the harm caused to girls and women in respect to their confidence, their dignity, their public safety, their decency, and just simply to have privacy is definitely there. But it's not big enough for them to do something about it. So... (laughs) I could be a convicted paedophile. I could be on the sex offenders register and I could change my sex. Yes. You're nodding your head in agreement. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And amongst 120 MPs, all the heads of government departments, no one saw a problem with this or better probably better put, no one who saw a problem with this spoke up. Correct. What what they did acknowledge, there could be an issue in regards to corrections and how corrections deal with this. We already have males who self-identify as women in women's prisons now, but they have a process and I'm pretty sure they haven't put sex offenders in there yet. And so the reason that this legislation was delayed and coming into effect until now because it was passed in 21 is that they wanted to give time for corrections to come up with the process, as I understand it, to deal with this issue. I'm not sure what that is as yet, but yeah, that was the the only concern they had. And we saw it in um, Scotland when they tried to pass this similar type legislation. And they were trying to pass a, a law as well that said that even if they were sex offenders, et cetera, and that's when the public, the big backlash against Nicola Sturgeon really started because it mm. was like, this is ridiculous. Then they had an example of a sex offender who had gone into a woman's prison too. So it all it was all just perfectly timed to stop the nonsense going as far as it could have over there. But yeah, here just no, no one spoke up about the concerns. Well, I take my children swimming and the big pool that we go to is, you know, half an hour away. And so they always get changed in the ladies changing area and my little 10 year old is very very sweet and very naive and very impressionable and anxious I've just made a decision she's never entering that changing shed again no and as a parent I probably wouldn't either if you know if I had daughters I'd be going in there with them yeah. I just, I, and even toilets and restaurants and bars, you know, like if you're at a restaurant with your family, I don't know if I'd let my young daughter go to the toilet by herself either. It just, yeah, I just don't, I can't. It's hard to, it's be safe spaces anymore. So, what's going to happen at some point? There's going to be an incident, isn't there? Yeah, there are. Women are going to have to pay the price, just as we are in sports already before common sense will prevail. 
And I don't know what that's going to take and how bad that's going to have to be. And there'll probably be excuses the first time, you know, like it's an isolated incident. It, you know, probably multiple women and girls are going to have to pay the price before action is taken. And that could be um, an exhibitionist in the changing room. No, that probably won't be enough because how do you prove they're actually being an exhibitionist and they're not just walking around getting changed? <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 I would have thought, I would have thought that a man walking around a, a, a changing room anywhere in New Zealand amongst girls and women would cause such an outrage it would be over, but I suppose it wouldn't get any publicity. No, the media wouldn't publicise it at all. No, it would be very lucky to, to get the media to report objectively on this issue at all. You know, what, what is really sad, though, is that we have had trans women for, you know, decades that have used yes. women's spaces, but they have gone through full sex change operations. They have been... You know, they have been so nervous about using those spaces that they wouldn't feel comfortable using them until they felt that they'd passed. And I think women, as women, we saw that they were making a concerted effort. Most of the time, you could still identify that they were male, but we we saw that they were, had made such an effort to try to pass and to fit in, and they weren't putting themselves right in front of your faces. They, you know, they were keeping quite quiet about it and and trying to fly under the radar, whereas it's quite the opposite now. And unfortunately, they have been impacted negatively yes. by this because now there's a back, a growing backlash to the whole trans thing and they're caught up in it. And they were, they're not part of this activism. And, you know, as women, I think the, by far the majority of us were quite welcoming and inclusive of them in our spaces because they weren't threatening. They weren't a bloke in a dress with a hairy chest and a, you know, in a beard. I know. <laughs> Just I know. yeah, not I even know. trying to pass, not even trying to fit in, just trying to basically have power over women and yeah. Well, the good news is this, listeners. We have got Roe Edge standing up a flag bearer. We've got Speak Up for Woman. Your webpage is Save Our Women's Save Women's Sport. Save Women's Sport. Sports, yes, yeah. uh, dot com. Go to these sites. Read the material, subscribe. Speak Up for Women is another one that are very good. Yeah, actually, can uh, I just say Speak Up for Women have really good guidance too. Like if you run a, a service, like a service industry where you have sex segregated spaces or you're involved in sports, Speak Up for Women on their website, if you go to their campaigns tab and Sex Up South ID, they have, they've had a legal opinion written in terms of how you can right. protect female spaces so and or if you are involved with trying to advocate for women as we saw down at Invercargill with the swimming pool down there there was a group that, that really was great against, that it was, was great. It stood up against council and you know I sent them a whole lot of information council a whole lot of information that that day because they were getting it wrong they thought they couldn't protect female spaces and that's the perception so it's really important for everyone to know that any service that you deal with can, any sport you deal with can, and it, but it's up to you, the public, to apply the pressure on them to ensure they do, because otherwise they're only going to get pressure one way. And then we've got this other great development. That is, if you go a lot, this year, every MP and then some are going to be begging you for the, your vote. And ordinarily, if you got up, and asked about sport or what's happening there, 
they could genuinely sympathize with you and say, well, look, you know, they'll look, they'll fix it, or it's nothing to do with them. But on the birth certificate, which is even more significant, because this isn't policy, this is legislation that you can change your birth certificate to whatever, they voted for it. And they agreed with it. And they can't agree with that and then oppose trans or men entering women's sports. They've, they can't. They, they have cast their vote. And so I would recommend to everyone to take the opportunity, at every opportunity, and I'll be writing to my local MP, um, to ask them, why did they vote for this? Yeah, and once again, actually, Speak Up for Women have some excellent questions that you can ask MPs on right. their website. So campaigns, and then there's an election one. And it's simple questions like, will you protect committing, sorry, we commit to protecting spaces and services exclusively for biological women? Will you commit to keeping women's sport exclusively for biological women? Like just really good questions that cut to the core of what the issues are because they like short questions, especially if you go and see them in a meeting scenario. And I actually yeah. went to an ACT meeting a couple of weeks ago and asked David Seymour a few questions and it, it was actually good. So it's it's really good to challenge them. Did you get good answers? Yes. Well, what was interesting is the meeting started off and one of the first guys asked him what a woman was. And I just sat there and went, oh, yes, <laughs> like, I had no idea who this guy was. So I was about the sixth question. And and I just, you know, I said, well, would he consider getting Sport New Zealand to remove this, the their transgender guidelines and leave it up to the sports to come up with their own their own rules without having government pressure yeah. or agency pressure. And he seemed open to that. He said he was against unnecessarily unnecessary government regulation. So it's definitely worth doing. And you know, yeah. the and my question's got applause. So there's the feeling there within the community, there is the support there. And that survey by Speak Up for Women that through the Curia polling shows that. Yes. So don't be scared to speak up because the majority of people will agree with you. Absolutely. That's what the wonderful news is out of that poll and out of this morning, that we can take heart and that there is an elite that has somehow lost their way through COVID or something that is so out of touch um, with common sense. Um, it's breathtaking. Ro, I thank you for joining us. I thank you for all, all the work that you do. I thank you for taking the trouble to work through all this material and then to give a submission. And at times you might feel a little bit lonely, but man, have you got a lot of support, particularly from us. And anytime you've got something you're bursting to say, um, you've got a platform with uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde and RealityCheck.radio because what you're doing is just fabulous. So thank you for that. And likewise to you. Thank you guys for what you're doing and for having me on here as well. Uh, that was Roe Edge uh, from Save women's sport it's i bumbled through that interview because i'm going along and my head just keeps exploding and i'm i i just find it so hard to comprehend why 120 members of a house of representatives representing all of us could be so insane and I can't think of another word for it. Even if you're pro-trans and pro-choosing your gender and you can do all this, to change your birth certificate and not 
even show that it's been changed? That's like something out of year zero, Pol Pot or something. It's extraordinary. Send us your thoughts on text by 2057. Send us an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. And thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the wonderful Row Edge. She's my hero. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.